In this episode of Sage Advice, we have Venerable Mudu from Bodhinyana Great Southern calling from the deep south of Western Australia, here to share his advice on finding a way back to peace when everything falls apart. Welcome, Bhante. How are you doing this day? I'm very good, thanks, Sol. Thanks for having me on your show this morning. Thanks for being here. Now, Bhante, many, perhaps all, of our listeners have been in a desperate situation of some sort at some time, where everything seems to have fallen apart. It may be the loss of a job, the death of a dear and loved one, an adverse medical diagnosis like cancer, or perhaps struggles with mental health. Can you empathise with these circumstances? Have you been there yourself? I certainly have. I certainly have. I uh, have. Um, I've had a reasonably uh, a good life, an easy life, a happy life. But uh, I did. I did have, like most people have had, is I've had some very tough times, and uh, and the time, <clears throat> the times that I had is precisely these hard times I had was precisely what actually kind of. Um, gave me the impetus to take up a Buddhist practice and ultimately uh, to um, take that as far as possible and that's why I became a monk. So those, mm. uh, those, uh, the suffering I had was the suffering through going through uh, family separation and, you know, for the whole of your life just um, being conditioned into uh, having this expectation that, you would uh, have, um, you know, a wife, children, a house, and a job, and live happily ever after. Um, to have that, uh, to put so much weight on that, to put so much, um, to rest so much of your kind of expectations in life on that, and then have that um, crumble, fall, fall apart. <laughs> yeah, it's it's quite. Uh, that, that can be extremely painful and uh, uh, people deal with this in different ways. You know, um, I'm just very grateful that I've dealt with this in a, in a very skillful way and a very wholesome way because there are other ways which aren't so skillful, aren't so wholesome and we all know stories about uh, suicide after these sorts of things, which is a terrible, um, mm. uh, terrible way to tackle this problem. Uh, other ways people tackle these problems with drinking and drugs and distractions like that, which also aren't so wholesome. So I can say I'm very, very grateful very uh, that I've been able to be shown a way to deal with these things, which, uh, which has uh, been very skillful and has alleviated these, um, these pains. 100, I would say almost 100%. I can guarantee that. Wow, that's that, that's a that's a really inspiring, and uh, hopefully some of the people listening right now can even just knowing that there is a way out of that turmoil and that pain would be uh, give them great hope. So, but perhaps before we go on, we can explore uh, how we can turn our lives around after a time of great challenge. Perhaps we should first look at what is the root cause? Why do we suffer so much in life? I the from my from my opinion that uh, I've learnt from the teachings of the Buddha, which I've uh, heard through the mouth of Ajahn Brahm and some of his senior monks like Ajahn Brahmali, 
and also some of the other <clears throat> teachers in my tradition, like Ajahn Sumedho and a couple of other monks, that um, one of the main problems we suffer is because we have um, we have these expectations in life, and we with these expectations sometimes. Buddhist people describe them as uh, desires, wants, things like that, which is, yeah, fair enough. That kind of can fall under the definition of having expectations, wanting things to happen a certain way. And that's precisely what, uh, what uh, uh, most of us do in life. We have very high expectations on, on, on ourselves. We have high expectations on our family members, like our partners and our children. And these expectations are just sometimes they're just even the even normal reasonable expectations are sometimes they're too much and when those expectations aren't met um, we get upset we get angry and and uh, and we and we ha- we suffer we hurt from that um you know, for myself, I just mentioned before, I went through separation. My expectations from very young age, and I can remember like going into high school in year eight, that um, I was growing up, you know. Year eight's a big change from primary school. Back in my day, uh, high school started in year eight, not like year seven like it does now. And I felt grown up and I, I started thinking about stuff like, Oh, one day I have to have a wife. I've got to get a good job. Um, I've got uh, year 11 and 12 to think about. If I don't get good grades in year 11 and 12, then my whole life is going to be destroyed because that's what the teachers tell me. That's what my mother and father tell me. And, and all these anxieties and stresses start building up um, because you have these expectations on, on how you should be. And it's, for some people, it's just far too much. They can't even handle them at high school. And we do even hear about high school people um, having um, suicides as well and mental health issues and depression and anxiety. So uh, the question was, you know... Um, the cause, the root cause, why do we suffer? Yeah. The, in my opinion, it is um, it is because we have these expectations on ourselves and on others. And if we were to do... Uh, follow Ajahn Brahm's advice and his uh, advice is for his monks uh, no his his advice to people and he uses his monks as an as an example is he says I don't have any problems with my monks at all whatever they do I don't get upset I don't get disappointed because I have very very low expectations of them (laughs) he says Mm -hmm. my expectations of them are zero so whenever (laughs) Um, they do something and they perform, they always exceed my expectations. So I'm never disappointed. <laughs> he said that yeah, to me the other day. He said, no, he said it to my number two monk. He said, my number two monk that was here at the time, Venerable Navato, said, he said, uh, Bhante, Bhante, Ajahn Brahm says, we've exceeding his expectations. And I said, yes, I know, Venerable, because his expectations of us are zero. <laughs> we both but there's something, something we can all learn from that. Um, for those of us uh, who have 
or may have in future a painful, stressful, disorienting episode in life, what's one of the first things that we should keep in mind or do? Like what would be the first thing we could work out or find to find our way back to peace? This is a, this is a great question, but it's easy to answer, hard to do because um, I'm going to yeah use what's worked for me and this is advice that uh, or teachings that uh, Ajahn Brahm also gives is that um, when these things in life happen, death of a loved one, a loss of a job, um, child or loved one that has an addiction, a drug addiction or something like that or some sort of um, uh, disappointment or suffering in life hits you, then the best thing to do is just see it as this is par for the course. These are things that just happen in life. Often you'll hear people say, but I've been such a good person. I, I, why, why me? Why did, why did my child die? Or why did, um, uh, you know, why did this bad thing happen to me? And really, if you're asking those questions, you really, it's impossible to answer why it happened to you, but it has happened to you and it does happen to good people like you. So the best thing is look at it as, as par for the course. This just, just happens. And, um, it happens to lots of people, but it's the way you deal with it that is either going to make it more painful or it makes it uh, something that you can um, uh, take in your stride. So when we have a, a bad, uh, unpleasant uh, happening in our life, and we see it as par for the course. These are just normal things that happen to normal people. People die all the time. And it's not just um, old people that die. Sometimes it's young people. Then <clears throat> we can actually uh, kind of, um, if we do take it as par for the course, and that means we see this as completely normal, then we can also uh, do what... Um, what is known as, uh, uh, well, it's a story actually. This is when we have these bad things happen in life, if we do something positive with them then and learn from them, then they can become uh, great teachers for us. So I'm going to use the example here of when the two uh, neighbours or the two people on the street, uh, they had a truckload of manure, or as Ajahn Brahm says, a truckload of S-H-I-T delivered to their front door. And one person said, who ordered, I never ordered this truckload of dung. This is crazy. Whoever ordered this, they're mad and I'm going to wring their neck when if I find out who it is. And he complained and he whinged and carried on and he closed, he slammed the door and he left that pile of S-H-I-T on his porch to stink and attract maggots and flies and looked and smelt awful. And the other neighbour who had this same truckload of manure that he didn't order, put on his front doorstep, he didn't say anything. He knew exactly what to do with it. And um, shovel load by shovel load, he put it into his wheelbarrow 
and he wheeled it into his backyard where he had a, a young mango tree. And he dug that um, uh, shit, that manure, that poo, into uh, the soil around the mango tree. And it was a lot of work. It took a lot of sweat and uh, many, many wheelbarrow loads. But eventually the, um, truck, the, the truckload of dung on his front yard had been moved. It had been dug into the soil around the mango tree. And after a little while, the, the uh, mango tree, uh, it, uh, it started absorbing those nutrients from that manure and into the um, roots, up through the trunk, into the leaves and into the fresh um, flower buds. And those flower buds got germinated and they became fruits. And after a little more time, those fruits grew into beautiful big mangoes. And he had so many mangoes. And when he tried that first mango, he actually, um, as the juice dribbled down his chin, he, re he remembered what went into that mango, all of that shit, all of that hard work that he, he did digging it into the mango tree was now bearing fruits. He was reaping the rewards, these delicious mangoes, the sweetest mangoes he'd ever tasted. And more than that, he had so many mangoes, he could, didn't know what to do with them. He couldn't eat them all. So he shared them with all of his neighbors and made them very happy as well. And um, this is a story, a famous Ajahn Brahm story that I'm repeating. But the moral of this story is that um, this uh, shit that was delivered to his front door was the, was the um, it's a metaphor. It's like the shit that we're delivered in our life. You can either complain or whinge about it and make that shit more smelly and more stinky, or you can do something about it. And you can actually work with it and dig it into your practice. And this is what um, this is what uh, this this smart man did. And he he actually um, worked with these um, the shit in his life, and he made good fruits out of it. And he was even able to share it and and be generous and kind. So this is what we can do with the shit that comes along in our life, the unpleasant things. We can actually first kind of see them as part of the course this happens to everybody and if it's particularly painful we work with it we see where the pain comes from see what's causing us our discomfort work with it do the meditation do the practice and then reap the rewards of a happy life thank you very much Pante. now and i take it so in the first instance it's accepting life as it is even if it's unpleasant even if it's unfair it's just an acceptance of things as they are. But that metaphor also indicates that there's uh, that, that finding your way back to peace is not something that happens quickly. It can take quite some time. Um, so <clears throat> being more specific, what are the kinds of practices that we should sustain in order to find our way back to a greater sense of peace and ease? Great, uh, great question and thanks for putting my long-winded answer into some simple sentences. Um, that's right. So the, the man that dug the shit into his mango tree, he worked very hard to get the rewards from it. 
it's uh, it's like the practice of um, uh, that we do in in Buddhism, and uh, and you don't most people for their first introduction to any sort of Buddhist practice is meditation. They go to a meditation class, and just like myself, they often are wrongly um, have the wrong idea that sitting on the cushion is going to solve all the problems. And uh, it is a great way to start because you can, if you're very lucky, you can find some peace in that meditation and you can start to value peace. But uh, peace doesn't always come up so easy in meditation. It does take some groundwork to do that. And uh, this, this is where I'm trying to answer your question, is that um, it's, it, it is... <clears throat> excuse me it, it, it is easy but it's also not easy because it requires some effort it requires some patience it requires some investment of um, time so changing some of your lifestyle habits as well so um, you know maybe just like the good people that come to meditation on a Friday night they forfeited their Friday night at the pub to come to the uh, meditation group instead so they've they've swapped one possibly slightly unwholesome activity drinking at the pub to actually going to find some peace on a friday night instead other things that are also very important that uh, establish a good peaceful life a happy life that go hand in hand with a meditation practice <coughs> are um, living a good wholesome life essentially uh, there's uh, um, the Buddha describes many different ways to do this, but uh, quite a lot of monks will say that uh, it's just all boils down to being kind to oneself and being kind to others. And when we can do this in every aspect of our life, from our workplace to our home place to our place of uh, when we, um, uh, you know, sporting clubs and that as well. These are all opportunities to actually practice being kind to others. Uh, these sporting clubs, you know, if you're on a committee, you know how difficult it is. It's uh, getting along with people. Is, um, this, is a, this is another great opportunity. The sporting club is one of these places where you're on the committee, you think you're being a volunteer, but in the background, in your mind, you've got expectations. I'm the president, I want it to be done this way. If it's not going to be done this way, then, then you know, there's going to be hell to pay. So this is a great opportunity if you're in a volunteer association to practice letting go, like letting go of your own, um, uh, you know, some of those greater parts of your ego that um, kind of are a bit um, controlling or they, they kind of, uh, are so controlling or so domineering that they put other people off. They think you're a bossy boots or something like that. So, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's parts of uh, this practice that require you to put in uh, some work and, uh, and uh, Buddhist um, monks uh, and going to meditation classes is a great way to to find out what some of these answers are because I can't tell you them all now in, a, in an interview because it's taken me uh, my 10 years of practice at monastery plus a few more before that and I'm still learning now.
But uh, like I said before, being the most important thing is to kind of try and put yourself in the shoes of others, have empathy like uh, your first question addressed, having empathy to know how others feel and, and, and trying to cut some slack, be an ear for someone else um, as well sometimes. It, uh, being kind is, is, just a, is, is the main uh, um, player in Ajahn Brahm's um, teachings is kindness is all his practice is all about kindness he's to, he is actually the kindest person i know and so that kindness uh towards oneself as well uh when one's suffering kindness but it goes in every direction doesn't it and when you develop kindness for others it's easier to develop kindness for yourself and vice versa yeah i i to be honest i found being kind to myself was the is is the harder one i think out of the two, being kind to others and being kind to yourself. The second one is, uh, is, is, is quite a lot harder because, and I've talked about this actually, so uh, I, it'd be nice to share what I found is that uh, this comes up a lot in my meditation teachings is that um, being kind to yourself because it is important, but what I found in life that... Um, there's this cliche that's said a lot when you're growing up and um, the cliche cliche term is um, you've got to love yourself before you can love others. And that cliche is used so much that uh, I, I never really knew what it meant. It sounded good. When you said it, it sounded profound and it sounded important, but I never really grasped exactly what it meant until I started looking at uh, my own meditation. And and then I found out what, what being kind and what loving yourself meant. And to me, what it meant was when I do the meditation practice, I start off with a body sweep meditation. Uh, this ha- happens in a lot of meditation techniques. You start off with looking at the five senses and allowing them to become nice and relaxed. And you start with the, the eyes, the eye sense door, the nose sense door, the tongue sense door, the ear sense door, and then the sense door of touch. And when you go through the sense door of touch, I like to scan through the body and give the body as much kindness as I can. And what I do, I start, uh, I learned this from Ajahn Brahm, I start with my toes, I ask my toes how they feel. Are they comfortable? If they're not comfortable, I move them to a different position. And I spend the next five or so minutes in this body sweep meditation, getting my body really comfortable so that I can do the meditation. And this is where I learned about what being kind to myself was because as I move from my toe to my soles of my feet, to my heels, to my legs, and then to my knees, and asking each part of my body how it feels, I get to my knees. And for me, it's always my knees and my toes are a bit, cool because I don't have the best circulation there so sometimes there's nothing you can do so I just use my mind just to kind of direct energy there to try and actually imagine warmth there and even if it doesn't work at least I've got this kind thought in my head and then I move to up my legs and then I get to my hips and then I get to my favorite part of my body the two favorite parts is my tummy and my breath I start with my tummy and I and I, I give as much kindness to my tummy as I can. I have gratitude for my tummy. And this sounds so weird. People are like, why are, you being, why are you being kind to your tummy? Why do you have gratitude for your tummy? This, because it's part of my body. It's part of who I am. 
And I, uh, so I send this kindness there and I say, thank you, tummy, for processing all that food. And I know I put too much in there today. Please forgive me. And even it might sound silly, it brings up a sense of joy and the tummy smiles back at you. And then I do the same with my breath, my lungs, my throat, and I be kind to that. And, and then after doing this a few times or for so many years, however long I've been doing it, I realize it brings up this huge sense of joy because um, I'm being kind to myself. And then the most important thing, the cherry on the, on the cake here is when you put your body down after making those five senses nice and calm, you move to the mind and guess what you do? You bring kindness in there as well and, you, and your mind is, wants to hang out with you. These are, these, they, 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 so people haven't heard this before, it sounds crazy, but this is what Ajahn Brahm teaches and it works, I guarantee it. It takes a while to learn to be kind to yourself, but at the end of the day, now I now understand what it means when they say you've got to love yourself before you can love others. And that is my definition of how to love yourself is being kind to yourself. And uh, uh, that is, uh, it's been such a blessing to my meditation, this kindness, learning how to be kind to the body, and it just transfers straight into the mind and makes the, makes the meditation very kind of take off very quickly, very peacefully. Well, thank you, Bhante. That's a very good answer in the sense that it's both the short-term and the long-term solution. So kindness here and now to oneself, to others, but then keep practising at it because, you know, little by little that kindness will grow and then your problems will be overcome and you'll be, uh, you know, Swimming in kindness, so to speak. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. <laughs> okay, well, that's probably where we should leave it now for this episode of Sage Advice. Thank you very much, Venerable Mudu, for being our inaugural guest on uh, Sage Advice on the Treasure Mountain podcast. All the best to you. Thank you, Sol. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this uh, first Sage Advice episode. I'd really like to hear your feedback upon... Uh, who we should be interviewing in the future episodes of Spirit Stories. But also I want to hear uh, your ideas for topics or your questions for future episodes of Sage Advice. You can share your feedback uh, about uh, this podcast by going to the Treasure Mountain podcast page on Facebook or you can go to the website treasuremountain.info and you can leave messages there. Uh, you can also email me at treasuremountain at fastmail.com. I hope you've enjoyed and benefited from this first uh, Sage Advice episode. And I hope we're going to see you next time as we seek the treasure within. <laughs>